Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. Coming up on Gamers Week podcast. Xbox completely skipped it because I was like, what the hell is Microsoft doing making a video game console? <laughs> I mean, come on. Sega, Sony, Nintendo, and these guys want to step up to the plate? It's like, nah, it's, it's just going to fall through. <laughs> That'll never work. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they won't be around for long. Follow me for great investment tips, people. <laughs> second are you writing a novel or no just uh, (laughs) (laughs) clackety 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 clack clackety clack okay i think i'm ready okay thank goodness oh okay all right (laughs) (laughs) that's how it's gonna be (laughs) do you want to get nuts come on (laughs) All right, welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 32. Today is Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. My name is Donnie G. Retro, and I will be your host for this evening. And with me, as always, are my two gracious co-hosts. My first co-host likes to do things last minute, like giveaways. Brian... (laughs) How are you doing tonight? <laughs> Feeling very rushed. Thank you. <laughs> I'm in this picture and I don't like it. Right. <laughs> My second co-host thinks that cleaning an N64 cart is a good way to spend a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only Blue Williams. How are you this evening? Um, good. My Nintendo 64 carts are very clean. All of them? All of them. Like meticulously? Every spec is clean. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and jump into our reviews, reactions, and requests for this week. M. Jacobson says, the first time listening to the show and just subscribed. Thank you very much, Jacobson. We appreciate that. Kuniachi says, you guys all have great radio voices, but what about our faces? (laughs) <laughs> that was my reply Sanity Crypto says Going to platinum this episode Easy Platinum-ided I am championing I am championing 
championing. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> yes, it's happening. I am championing the fact that platinum edited needs to go into the dictionary. It needs to replace platinumed because I think a lot of people, um, and when I say a lot of people, just me get confused with it. So. I think we should make that a gamers wear t-shirt that says I'm going to platinum all the games. <laughs> I think you should just say platinum with like the platinum trophy, like just the word in the picture. I like that. I too. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag platinum and Yes. Coming soon to the gamers week merch store. <laughs> all right. And now it's time for the, Inquesta muy importante. Hmm, I see what you did there. Yes. <laughs> Every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP or very important poll. Uh, if you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. And this question for this week was, what is your favorite Generation 6 video game console? This time, other did not seem to show up. I don't know. Oh. We, we miss you, other. <laughs> I mean, you should know you were the one who posted the poll. Eh, you're supposed to play it up. Come on. Sorry. This is for, for show. Oh my god, what happened? We're, we're taking a break. We're taking a break from other. <laughs> we're on a break. <laughs> we changed our status to it's complicated. <laughs> All right. So coming in fourth place, Microsoft Xbox with eight point nine percent of the vote. Coming in third place, which is going to be majorly controversial <laughs> Sega dreamcast with 18.1 percent coming in second place is the nintendo gamecube with 27.7 percent and taking the show here is the sony playstation 2 with 45.4 percent and Woo! to the surprise of no one that is correct yep so let's look at some of the comments from the poll Darkwing J said, PS2, I grew up with the GTA trilogy, Max Payne, Bully, and Stuff. Stuff is my favorite game. Yep. Same here. <laughs> Bearded Son of Nell said, the Xbox was fantastic, tons of power, and the best online action on a console that Sony would later try to duplicate. Fantastic games like Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, Jade Empire, Halo, Forza, etc. Extreme 88 said Dreamcast without hesitation. A good friend, Nate, retro gaming dev, said anyone who didn't vote GameCube is wrong. Hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> and Honey Bear Mart said quite possibly my favorite error. All of them had a great selection of games. I gladly owned them all and still do. Very nice. So we're going to start this one off. Donnie, which of the four were your favorite or still are for generation six, uh, hands down the PlayStation two. Um, I skipped the GameCube up until like maybe a couple of years ago, started collecting games for that. Xbox completely skipped it because I was like, what the hell is Microsoft doing? Making a video game console. <laughs> I mean, come on, Sega, Sony, Nintendo, and these guys want to step up to the plate. It's like, nah, that's, it's just going to fall through. <laughs> That'll never work. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they won't be around for long. Follow me for great investment tips, people. <laughs> the Dreamcast, I actually, I, I like the library, but a lot of the games you can get on other consoles. So to right. me, it didn't seem at the time that the titles were specific enough to, to actually stay with the Dreamcast long-term. And when the PlayStation 2 came out, 
I mean, I'm with um, Darkwing J. The Grand Theft Auto trilogy, whenever I first played Grand Theft Auto 3, it just blew my mind. Then Vice City is one of my favorite games of all time. You have the Max Payne series. Uh, there was another series that I think I mentioned uh, on my response that I can't think of off the top of my head. But just the library itself for the PlayStation 2 has a ton of games that have great replay value. Nice. Blue, what about you? Man, this was a brutal one. Uh, I never had a Dreamcast, so that wasn't in consideration, but I had the other three, and I dearly loved the other three. I mean, when Honey Bear Mart says this is quite possibly my favorite era, they're not wrong. Aside from 16-bit, this is probably the best era of consoles, I would argue. Uh, But I... I went back and forth between GameCube and PlayStation. Xbox I loved, but I was never into shooters, and that was such a huge part of the Xbox library. So that was a very solid third place for me. So it really came down to the first-party Nintendo games and Resident Evil 4, because I played that on the GameCube. (laughs) Of course, my favorite Mario Kart of all time, Double Dash, was on the GameCube. Versus the PlayStation 2, which had so many great RPGs and action games. It had the Final Fantasy games. Final Fantasy X is a huge favorite of mine, which was on the PlayStation 2. So this was really tough. In the end, I clicked the button for PlayStation 2 and almost immediately was like, oh no, what have I done? Am I sure? (laughs) Maybe I should think about it for another six hours. Um, But what's done is done. So I did vote for PlayStation 2, even though I'm conflicted about it. <laughs> My God, man, what have you done? I know. <laughs> I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> so, what about you, Ryan? Yeah, for me, I didn't own a Dreamcast or the GameCube growing up. I didn't actually own a PlayStation 2 either, I had, but I had a lot of friends who did. So, I had plenty of opportunities to play it. So, while I will say going back and collecting for Sega Dreamcast is a fantastic console to do that with mm-hmm. really quirky games on it, like like Seaman, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I like the enunciation on that. <laughs> right. I don't think uh, I don't think you can get that experience anywhere else. So no. good on you, Sega. <laughs> uh, GameCube, I think you you nailed it, Blue, with all of the uh, available first party games that came from Nintendo were fantastic on that. So collecting for that is a lot of fun too. But if it's down to PlayStation and Xbox for me, and I got to stick with my my nostalgic. Uh, experience we bought an xbox just to play halo with friends and i played the xbox continuously throughout college it was a big feature in there uh, i played a lot of tiger woods golf on that i, I, that, I know really? i know <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was me and my roommate and we would we had a battle going for a while as to who had the better golfer and that that took up many many hours and many many evenings i think of all the video games available to college age boys could be playing and you guys were all over tiger woods golf you know what the heart loves what the heart loves (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong (laughs) but with xbox it was it was halo it was fable it was forza there were a lot of really great titles that uh, me my brother my roommates all really enjoyed so for me just purely nostalgia i recognize that objectively the playstation 2 is probably the best choice for library and everything that's available on it, but uh, Xbox still has that that little special place in my heart. Yeah, that's that's your choice. Yeah, exactly. It's, it says your favorite, not the best. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not putting logic or reason behind these answers. It's all emotional. The heart wants what the heart wants. Exactly. All right, let's move on to our patron shoutouts. 
We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, JNL Game, Love Retro BTW, Stephen Sand, Ramboski, Terry Kinnear, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Davey PGH, The Red Ox PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Emo-esque, Bill Tucker, Rye Bread's number one fan, Fruitcake's number one stan, The Wizard of Zardoz, Clayman 71, Great Sayaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, and Crunchy Kong. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing, like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Let's go ahead and move on to our headline section of this week. Our headline segment is proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Currently, they're playing through Jungle Hunt and Sinistar. Visit them at RetroGameClub.net or follow the link in the show notes. I am awful at Sinistar. (laughs) I don't remember what Sinistar is. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of it. I guess we better listen. Uh, They had one at uh, Southern Fried Gaming Expo, and I avoided it like the plague. (laughs) 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 nice all right first up from ign gta 6 will reportedly feature a first female playable character and add new cities over time as part of a report on rockstar by bloomberg sources close to the studio discuss the new female character who will be latina the character who reportedly be a part of a pair of bank robbers in a story influenced by real life criminals bonnie and clyde Female protagonists have previously only been available as custom characters in GTA Online, never in the game's single-player campaigns. The report also indicates that the launch version of GTA 6 will begin with fictionalized Miami and surrounding areas, presumably a return to Vice City, but will be updated with new missions and cities on a regular basis. However, much of the report focuses on progressive changes at Rockstar in recent years, including a more inclusive office culture, a focus on reducing crunch, a removal of abusive managers, conversion of contractors into full-time employees, and a restructure to improve working conditions. Morale is said to be higher at the company as a result, and one source said Rockstar was a boys club transferred into a real company. Sources say that developers on the game are skeptical about predictions for a launch between April 2023 and March 2024 due to multiple changes on the team and bottlenecks in production. GTA 6 will apparently only be released when Rockstar is ready, not when its owner, Take-Two, requests it. Standing up to the man! Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that resolve holds especially if it gets delayed beyond March 2024 and people start getting antsy, especially shareholders. Well, and I think that with Grand Theft Auto V and all the stuff that they keep doing with that game, that's probably going to be enough to hold people over until Grand Theft Auto VI comes out. It's not like we're talking about um, Cyberpunk 2077 where there was nothing holding people over. Right. Right. This was something that they continued to talk about and spout out 
all these years leading up to its release, which is like over 10 years. And then finally it's out. And there was like, oh my God, it's so littered with problems. Well, everybody knows that they can continue to play Grand Theft Auto 5. And with its replay value and all the stuff that they offer online, that at least they'll have something to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Grand Theft Auto 5 was released in 2013. And it's mm-hmm. been stretched across three different generations. <laughs> so that online, it's got remasters, it's got all this stuff. So they have got every penny out of that, I think, that they possibly can. <laughs> so it completely tracks that when GTA 6 comes out, that they are planning on updating it regularly by adding new cities. So if, if the gap between GTA 5 and GTA 6 is going to be 10 or even 11 years, depending on when this thing comes out, you can only imagine how long it will be before anybody hears anything about a GTA 7. <laughs> 2100. Yeah. GTA 6 <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and maybe that's what the series needs. Maybe with GTA 6, do you really see the advancement getting better than what we have with the PS5 right now with 4K and 8K and Ultra HD HD and all that stuff? that we'll need to have a GTA 7 on the next four console releases. The next four generations to go. So it would be right, right. PS5, PS6, PS7, and PS8. <laughs> <laughs> and then now the PS9, then Grand Theft Auto 7. Since we all know you're a big Grand Theft Auto fan, are you excited for GTA 6? I mean, I am. I like the storyline that Grand Theft Auto brings um, to the table. So Grand Theft Auto V, I like the storyline. I played it. I think I played it through twice, but I tried the online stuff and just couldn't really get into it because it was the wild, wild west. (laughs) I remember the first time I logged into the online and somebody tried to run me over with the car and I was trying (laughs) to go into a store just to shop to to clothe my avatar and this guy was waiting for me and I'd, I'd step outside and he would just ram the door. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna log off now. I don't want to. I don't want to die because yeah. I didn't really, I didn't know how it worked. That's no fun. No, I didn't want to constantly be chased down in an online environment. Hopefully, between April 2023 and March 2024, they figure out how to prevent hacks from happening on GTA 6, like they've been so prevalent in the past GTA games, uh, making it essentially unplayable for for new players. Do you it's, think they care? Uh, you know, yes and no. I think that obviously any company wants to have a good experience and wants to expand out its player base. And with that reputation, it that's why I haven't touched it myself, honestly, is I just know that there are so many people out there doing stupid things that would affect my experience, especially with the online version of it, that it just doesn't seem like it's something I want to get into. Right. When you can make a gun that shoots tanks at other people. <laughs> it's like, what the heck am I doing here? Right. <laughs> and you just have a little piece here that just goes pew, pew, pew. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't hack this, so now I'm screwed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the other good thing about the article is that, you know, the, the office culture um, and morale is said to be higher at the company because of the changes that have been made. So, Maybe there really is, um, you know, a, a good change coming through for this. I will admit that I'm naturally skeptical of articles like this, though, where it's such a PR fluff piece in that sense, where it's just yep. like, oh, you know, we're no longer the boys' club. We swear, it's, everything's better here. But if Jason Schreier said it, it must be true. Oh, of course, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but I am pleased with the fact that they're they're going with a female character is the main character this time, uh, and the fact that she is Latina. I think that those are all great things. When you're talking about representation, it's always important to kind of expand out from you know the, the typical type of game that that is. It's going to ex- right. make it a little bit more appealing as well to a wider audience. I think in the long term. And I like this idea of allowing people to choose between two different protagonists. Of course, that's something that the last couple of Assassin's Creed games have done successfully. And it seems like people really like it. So I'm okay if this idea spreads throughout a lot of different franchises. And at the end of the day, I would imagine it's not that much more work to change it. I mean, I guess then the thought then is voiceover stuff might be different, but Give a new voice actor a chance. There we go. I like that. Or give an old voice actor who used to voice act Zelda on the CDI, give her a chance. (laughs) (laughs) We're all about second chances, right? Right. (laughs) All right. Next up from Games Radar, Sony will loan out PS5 to indies to lower the barrier of entry. Announced yesterday, the PlayStation Indies Development Hardware Loan Program aims to put PS5 development kits in independent publishers and developers' hands. Newly licensed PlayStation game publishers and developers can apply for a PS5 console under the new system. In fact, they'll get two PS5 consoles through the new scheme, one development kit version and another testing version of the new-gen console. However, this is all subject to PlayStation overlooking and approving each application. The reveal of the new initiative on Sony's corporate website doesn't detail who will and won't be eligible for the new scheme, so it's a little difficult to gauge unless you're already registered with Sony as a publisher or developer. Additionally, it's unclear how long developers will be granted these two PS5 testing kits. The announcement from Sony makes it clear that this is a loan program, so the PS5 consoles aren't available to keep for developers, but it should still help lower the barrier to entry for new independent publishers and developers trying to get their games on PlayStation's new gen machine honestly i think this is a really smart business move it is of course i think you have so many devs that are reluctant to move forward to the ps5 i mean even now when we read our top three new releases every week we still occasionally come across games that are only releasing on ps4 and the xbox one as opposed to also having current gen versions there's still the idea out there that these consoles are in short supply And so if you put your game out on those, will there be enough of an audience for you? And then also, are you able to get one yourself so you can develop for it? So I can't list myself as a uh, developer and try to get a PS5 from them. (laughs) Well, you can apply to PlayStation. (laughs) Who even knows? (laughs) Sometimes games are made by a single person. Right. I'm a one-man show. PS5 game made by one guy. (laughs) (laughs) You're the next Thomas Happ. It's going to happen. (laughs) It's going to release in 30 years, but I'll I'll get to it. (laughs) (laughs) When the PS5 is retro, (laughs) it's a homebrew. Realistically, the PS5 library is so short right now. Imagine if you're a developer and you get a chance to loan or get loaned a PS5. It's probably not just going to be for one game you're going to to find as though it's something that you prefer to program for. You'll probably end up utilizing it for several games that you release. So you're not just getting one indie game, potentially. You're getting many for a low cost to them. Because like you said, it's a loan. So your game works out. You'll have plenty more opportunities to develop for the PS5. Uh, So it's, it's a solid, solid move. 
And uh, good on you, Sony. <laughs> now, right, for, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead because I was moving on. No, no, I'm, I'm. I want you to move on. No, you were going to say something. I would like for you to I say wasn't. what you wanted to say. Yes, I don't, don't want to say it. It's, you it's open your mouth. Now. You open your mouth. <laughs> you don't open your mouth unless you're serious about following through. Lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> From GeekWire, Funko makes foray into video game production. Funko, the Everett Washington-based pop culture collectibles company, is breaking into video game production. In collaboration with new studio 1010 Games, Funko will produce an as-yet-untitled AAA action platformer for release in 2023. Funko announced the news Sunday at the San Diego Comic-Con. The unnamed game is planned for both consoles and PC and is expected to be aimed at a teenage audience with a teen rating from the ESRB. It also features major third-party studio integration, which according to a Funko representative, means the game will feature an unspecified amount of licensed intellectual property. Hmm. This will be (laughs) Funko's first video game project, as well as the debut release from 1010 Games. The latter company was created in August 2021 by John Burton who previously founded the British studio Traveller's Tales in 1989. We apologize to any British listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Traveller's Tales is best known for its Lego series of licensed adaptations, which include Lego Marvel's Avengers, Lego The Hobbit, Lego Harry Potter, and the massive Warner Brothers themed crossover Lego Dimensions. Also Lego My Ego. Given Burton's body of work to date, the safe bet is that Funko's debut game will be Lego, but Funko-themed an action-adventure title that features the characteristically big-headed Funko Pop designs getting up to shenanigans. I know that there are a bunch of people right now Googling, is there a game Lego My Ego? (laughs) (laughs) It's like Pac-Man, except for you're eating up all the Ego waffles. Oh, God, give me that game. So I, I think it was just a matter of time for Funko to try and do something. Because, I mean, I, I love their Funko Pops. I have several of them. I like how they take uh, an existing IP and kind of make a little miniature character from it. When, when you say that they're going to have a unspecified amount of licensed intellectual property, when Funko has the licenses to represent all of these different individual IP, does that give them free reign to lump them all into a single game? It does sound like a licensing nightmare. Right. But, I mean, if you think about it, this could be really cool. And, of course, it makes perfect sense because Lego games seem to have a pretty solid formula that people can't get enough of. And all you have to do is slap a different IP on it, and then people are all over it. They keep buying these games, and they're very successful. So why not do the same thing with Funko, who also has access to all of these different IPs? But... What I kind of hope it is, is if it's just one game and they've got all this random, these random characters thrown in. Like, think about it. You could have Freddy Krueger next to the Beatles and they're talking to Doctor Who. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it could be, it could be nuts. It could make zero sense anywhere else except for Funko. So I think that would be a really fun, potentially fun experience. Yeah. It's all in the, all in the delivery. Exactly. All in the execution. And Lego, I mean, has done a really great job with their versions of it. So if it's, Absolutely. If, if it's the same group that it's going for it, the same amount of care you would assume would be put into this. And I think you're right. I'm looking for some really crazy crossovers like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meets Coming to America. 
<laughs> they're both that they got that ninja thing going on right you know right yep. <laughs> fighting crime come on which makes me wonder why we haven't seen something like more along the lines of an adult themed not that way but like a rated <laughs> r like predator lego predator okay like are you, you a rated r lego game <laughs> yeah but like you don't like okay so like when the predator's chasing the people through the woods and you know you're going around like that's part of the level you're you're going around trying to trap the the mercenaries and whatnot and you know, you, you stab them but it's just it's lego blood so it's blocks coming out <laughs> The little like, like one that. circle blocks, whatever they're called. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be funny. Gets an adult only rating because there's too many blocks in that scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they've got everything for Funko. I mean, I, you, you have mm-hmm. sports personalities. Um, I don't know if I've seen like political personalities. I'm sure they're <laughs> out there. Um, but it's like everything under the sun, I think Funko has touched. Right. I like if I look at my shelf, I have. Rainbow Bright next to the Green Bay Packers next to Cowboy Bebop. And then there's Mickey from Kingdom Hearts and Genie from Aladdin. Sometimes in my weirder moments, imagine them all standing on the shelf and talking to each other like Toy Story style. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So why not? Why not make that a game? Uh, There's a funny story, though, with Funko Pop that involves Donnie with myself. So my wife was working at an office and the nerd guy there told her that him and his wife go Funko Pop hunting, right? They, they, they look for the rare stuff. Okay. So, so she associated that with somebody who was, who was very socially inept. And she was just, <laughs> she thought that it was like that the height of nerdness. And then uh, probably two weeks before this, I had won a Funko Pop out of Dottie's trivia contest that were done on Twitch. So one shows up at the house and she's like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> <laughs> you scared her. <laughs> no, she's like, please do not get into this, please. I was like, no, no, I just, it was, a, it was, a, I won it. I got it. It was a prize. It's going to be okay. <laughs> what the hell is that doing here? <laughs> it's like I brought an alligator in the house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what? He's part of the family now. <laughs> all right next up from svg blizzard is giving away diablo 4 but there's a huge catch oh yeah development for diablo 4 is well underway unfortunately however the once revered games company behind the series is not in the same place it was when it released diablo 3 in 2012 since then blizzard has seen controversy after controversy multiple lawsuits and a lackluster overwatch sequel leaving many worried about the future of diablo additionally the mobile spinoff titled diablo immortal released earlier this year receiving less than stellar reception from fans Many have called out the title for being a pay-to-win game that lacked innovation, and it has passed an unfortunate milestone by receiving some of the worst review user reviews of all time. Nevertheless, there are still some hopeful fans out there who are patiently waiting for Diablo 4, even if its release date is quite a ways off. A recent Blizzard blog announced a very special event, the Diablo Hells Inc. Tattoo Shop Takeover. The promotional event will take the form of a tour of sorts and see the Diablo franchise taking over a handful of select tattoo studios in major cities for an entire day. The tattoo shop takeover runs from July 16th to September 10th, and super fans of the Diablo series can find the aforementioned tattoo studios in New York, Miami, London, Berlin, Melbourne, and Sydney. 
During this event, anyone that stops by to get a free flash tattoo in the unmistakable Diablo style, along with getting a free tattoo, participants will also receive access to the Diablo 4 beta and a digital copy of the game upon release. However, the tattoos are first come, first serve, so not everyone will be lucky enough to grab one while supplies last. What a stunt. <laughs> it's not the first time this has been done, though. Isn't it? Tell me no, more. There's, I think there was a Domino's um, promotion uh, a while ago where if people got a Domino's tattoo, you'd get, like, I, I think, like the black card from Domino's. Like, you'll get a free pizza anytime that you want it. I'd have to look more into the giveaway, but there there have been other companies that have done that. If you got a tattoo of their product, they would give you something in return. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, this is from Business Insider, September 2018. Domino's offered Russians a lifetime of pizza if they got tattoos of the company's logo. And then it had to end the offer because too many people got inked. Backfired on them. I don't think I want a Domino's tattoo, nor do I want oh. a life supply of Domino's pizza. Come on, you don't think you'd get like a big Yo Noid tattoo? On you your- love the Noid game. You <laughs> love the Noid game. I might get a little <laughs> tattoo of the the Noid sprite just for fun, but I really don't need the pizza. Yeah, but you'd be everyone's friend at a party. You'd be like, uh, "We're gonna invite Blue because she can get free pizza." Yeah, can you call up? The, can you call them up and do the thing, man? What? <laughs> uh, can I get my free pizza? Yay! <laughs> One medium pizza for like fifty people. Right there. Now, there is a little bit of risk, though, with getting a Diablo tattoo. Let's say it comes out and it has something that's super controversial or it's widely panned as being the worst game of all time. People are like, not, 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 not E.T. anymore. It's Diablo 4. <laughs> and you've got a Diablo 4 tattoo. <laughs> I mean, you got you got great stories to tell. I'll tell you that. But is that something you want permanently on your body before you know what the product's going to be? I'm looking at a picture that supposedly has the choices. So you can get the logo of Diablo 2, 3, or 4, or just a regular D. And then there's a couple of different icons. Just a regular D? Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) a couple of different icons. So you don't have to get something that specifies Diablo 4 if you don't want to. Okay. Okay, that that's Diablo that's, Four, greatest game of all time, man. Yeah, goatee twenty twenty two. It said those jerks would get like Super Bowl champion the year before. <laughs> right, <laughs> Cleveland Browns Super Bowl twenty twenty. <laughs> uh, is there a video game that you guys would get a tattoo of in order to get a free copy? Uh, n- <laughs> <laughs> I would get a I would get a tattoo of Mike Tyson's punch out if that meant that I could get the punch out gold cart. Yes. Ooh. I might do it for a Hollow Knight game. Ooh. I've actually considered Ooh. already getting the little uh, shade of the night as a tattoo. I think that would be cool. If they gave you a like beta preview of Silk Song oh. and like the collector's edition for getting this tattoo, oh. would you do it? I would do it right now. I would leave the podcast and go to it right now. <laughs> beta access to Silk Song. Oh my god! I will say this: if that if that offer doesn't come out, I've got another offer for you, Blue. No, I'm when worried. we all get together and go to a con, the first night we're gonna schedule a tattoo for you. 
Okay. <laughs> and it's gonna, you're going to get the Hollow Knight tattoo when we all go together to get a con. <laughs> okay. I, I actually don't hate the idea. And the Gamers Week logo or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> On the neck, like a big GWP, <laughs> right across the front of the neck. That's oh. brand loyalty. That sounds painful. <laughs> like right on your Adam's apple. <laughs> you know what would work perfectly though is right across the fingers, Silk Song. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you just got knocked out by Silk Song, son. <laughs> <laughs> but if we do that, what tattoos are you guys going to get? I. I'd probably get a half sleeve of Chrono Trigger stuff. Oh, you got to find the right tattoo artist for that. Yes. Not just anybody. Well. Can do it. <laughs> that doesn't look like a frog, right? <laughs> You'll end up on one of those bad portrait tattoo sites. Yeah. Yep. I think on my forearm, I'm going to get bad boys will find you dot, 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 very small. And then in big letters in big, bold red letters, Night trap. I love that. Actually, <laughs> that's a great idea. All right, and now moving on to our top three new releases for the week. Okay, first up is Bear and Breakfast out on PC. Bear and Breakfast is a laid-back management adventure game where you play as a well-meaning bear trying to run a and b in the woods. Hank and his friends find an abandoned shack and, equipped with their teenage ingenuity, turn it into a money-making bed-and-breakfast scheme for unsuspecting tourists. As your business expands, so do the mysteries of the forest, and Hank soon finds himself uncovering a plot deeper than the wilderness itself. <laughs> Just think of Little Red Riding Hood. This is a trap. They're going to eat you. Don't <laughs> Airbnb. Actually, you should go watch the trailer for Bear and Breakfast because it looks like something that belongs on Cartoon Network. It looks oh, really? so cute. <laughs> Why do you animals keep being in here? Go outside. <laughs> Next up is Digimon Survive, out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Digimon anime, Digimon Survive presents a brand new adventure set in a mysterious world with characters designed by Uichi Ukomo and music by the much-acclaimed Tomoki Miyoshi. A brand new group of teenagers get lost on a school camping trip, finding themselves transported to a strange new world of monsters and danger. Battles in the game are fought in 2D in a more classic SR RPG style. And finally, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 out on the Switch. Join Noah and Mio, members of the two opposing nations of Kevs and Agnes, on a heartfelt journey through a warring world with a dark secret. Traverse massive, fantastical landscapes and master seamless real time RPG combat as you expose the true enemy pulling the strings. So, Ryan, what are you in for this week? Uh, Digimon, I never got into because I was a purist and I felt that that was a ripoff of Pokemon. Mm. And I know that I've just pissed off a bunch of people by saying that <laughs> at retro game brews, <laughs> send your hate mail. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, pair of breakfast sounds hilarious, but probably not up my, my alley. <laughs> Cause it just, it, every time I think about games and they come out with something new and it's so like mundane you know, it's like goat simulator and uh, farming simulator, and now it's BNB simulator. So, I got, <laughs> different strokes for different folks. I'm sure there are definitely people who are going to love that, but probably not for me. 
Now, Xenoblade is something I want to get into because Sheriff's Next continually tells me that it, it is a fantastic series. I have a copy of Xenoblade X for the Wii U that is sealed right now. I haven't touched it yet. So I'm, I'm curious if I have to get into the earlier versions of Xenoblade to get the whole story when it comes to Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So that, that'll be something I'm looking into. But it sounds like out of all of these different games, this is probably the one that would entice me the most. All right. What about you, Donnie? I'm going to have to go uh, with Xenoblade Chronicles 3 as well. Um, I, Baron Breakfast, you know, management style games do not appeal to me in any way, shape or form. Never got into Digimon. Don't even know what it's about. So taking a chance on a new IP like that is like, eh, I'm kind of skittish. Uh, I've heard of Xenoblade Chronicles. I know our friend Snacks is very excited for this game to be released. I would, if I were going to get into an RPG game, I would definitely check this one out. Cool. What about you, Blue? So, yeah, like you guys, uh, not into Digimon, never even got into Pokemon, so I'm not really going to go <laughs> make the jump over to Digimon either. At writer's view. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was bad. I just said I didn't get into it. <laughs> Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I have Xenoblade 1 and 2 for the Switch. Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 2 for the Switch. Haven't played them yet, so that's about, I don't know, about 400,000 hours worth of RPGs already sitting on my shelf. So uh, probably I will get to three at some point, but it's not going to be anytime soon. What's one more? <laughs> True, what's <laughs> one more? What does it matter? <laughs> but Bear and Breakfast, though, watching that trailer, that was actually really entertaining. And I used to really love the time management like flash games back in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, like Diner yep. Dash and Burger Island. I freaking loved those. So this, looking at the gameplay, it looks different than that. It looks like it might also be a lot of crafting, which I'm not super excited about. But the idea was so cute that I'm actually willing to give it a chance. Nice. What would you name your B&B if you were a bear? Put down the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> Dingleberry's bed and breakfast, because we know berries <laughs> right. have them. And the berries would be a pun. Berry. <laughs> As we discussed on last week's episode, we are pleased to kick off the first ever Gamers Week podcast high score tournament. This will be a five game tournament, and all games will be MAME arcade games. We do recommend RetroArch. The winners of each week will get a spot in the finals, and the overall winner will receive a very valuable trophy. Wink. The first game will be the original Metal Slug arcade game. Play starts Friday, July 29th, and you'll have until Tuesday, August 2nd, to submit your score. For a full set of rules, check out the pinned tweet on my Twitter account. That's at DonnieGRetro on Twitter. Or follow the link in the show notes. We're also giving away a loose copy of the smash hit N64 game Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And we are pleased to announce the winner. Drum roll, please. And the winner is Gaming and Gains. Congratulations. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be reaching out to you shortly to get your info. Thanks to everyone who entered and we wish you luck in future giveaways. And now it's time for our main topic of the week. From Nintendo Life, what are the Nintendo Switch's defining moments so far? The Nintendo Switch has been around for almost five and a half years, 
And in that time, it's made headlines over and over again in ways that other consoles haven't. We decided to see if we could pick out some of the moments that have shaped and defined the Nintendo Switch's reign, for good or bad, from the first time we played Zelda outside of the home to the dreaded Joy-Con drift. I still have not played Zelda yet. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, the very first Switch trailer. Although everyone knew that Nintendo's new console would be some sort of hybrid, watching the concept in practice was incredible. Needless to say, seeing the console for the first time, along with confirmation of games like Skyrim and a brand new 3D Mario title, convinced me to buy it day one. And don't forget that iconic sound, that click sound. Click. (laughs) Number four. Wait, this can play Skyrim? (laughs) The first time I realized the capabilities of the Switch was playing Breath of the Wild, but it was Skyrim that really made me realize what the Switch was and what it could be. Sure, Zelda looked fantastic, but Nintendo was able to build it in-house and based off of their own hardware, so that's cheating. Bethesda, on the other hand, had to take a sprawling open-world RPG that wasn't custom-made for the Switch and port it over before anyone really knew how to port games to the Switch. And it worked flawlessly, in fact. Skyrim in 2017 is a better Switch port than a lot of more recent AAA games, which tend to fall back on the Cloud Edition option to avoid having to tangle with the Switch's unique graphical and processing requirements. Cloud Editions. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, the Animal Crossing meets Pandemic Lockdown Serendipity. You could wait a lifetime for another incredible event like this, where everything aligned so perfectly that it seemed like a well-planned publicity stunt. But unless Nintendo was somehow pulling the strings of a global pandemic, which, to be clear, they weren't, the release of the new Animal Crossing game during the first week of a massive lockdown was just beautiful serendipity. It wouldn't have worked with any other game. Imagine millions of people getting really into doom during a lockdown instead of tending to their carefully manicured islands and escaping into a tropical paradise while the world burns around us. Animal Crossing New Horizons was such a perfect game for the first few weeks of something scary and isolating that it's actually become something of a time capsule for many of us, bringing back memories of that dark time in our lives. At number two, the death of Mario. On March 31st, 2021, Super Mario 3D All-Stars was removed from sale on the Switch eShop, with no more physical copies being manufactured. On the same day, Super Mario Bros. 35 was also booted off the Switch eShop. The Super Mario game and watch system was retired, and the original Super Mario Maker on Wii U had its online services shuttered. Obviously, this was a ploy by Nintendo to fire up the FOMO and bolster the bank balance just before the financial year ended. In the case of the game and watch and physical copies of 3D All-Stars, they would be easily available for quite a while after that date and are likely still sitting on some store shelves even now. But the idea of limiting the availability of such popular products didn't sit well with many fans, and scalpers obviously took advantage of the situation. The whole thing felt needless. Shutting down Mario Maker's online service is disappointing, but expected, to an extent. But Super Mario Bros. 35? That's just gone and for no good reason. In isolation, none of the above events are particularly surprising, but the confluence of all of them coming on the same day felt like a needless downer at a time when Mario fans should have been having a blast. 
And number one, the dreaded drift. Getting Joy-Con drift for the first time was the moment that the Switch began to lose a little bit of its luster. It was such a colossal tech story, too. Not many game stories can be covered by the BBC or have over 6,650,000 Google results. Even now, it's the most persistent problem with the Switch, and I think a lot of people felt a little cheated by the incredible piece of technology having issues that made it unplayable. So with this being said, with the dreaded drift, is the Switch Lite, do the sales numbers on that equal that of like the regular Switch? Well, let me see if I can find out. Because honestly, the first time I heard of the Joy-Cons having drift problems, which in any case with a a controller like that, I, I, I remember my PS3 controllers really having drift problems with the sticks because I played Call of Duty so much that it would just, I would constantly have the left stick pushed in the up position. So I can understand that it's eventually going to happen if you use it that much. But I think the, the, the Switch's Joy-Cons actually, it didn't take much use for them to actually have this happen. No, that was the thing about the drift is that it happened really soon after the Switch was released. And Nintendo's explanation that it's like tires wearing out on your car, like the mechanics within the Joy-Cons, they're just going to wear out that's just going to happen but that doesn't really explain why it happened so soon after the switch launched nothing should wear out that quickly so okay so i'm looking at an article on cnet february 2022 and it says the standard version has sold 81.68 million units and the portable only switch light has sold 17.87 million units the okay. OLED model has sold 3.99 million units. I am one of those owners. Donnie's got the flex on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have not had drift really yet. Yeah, me neither. I, I have not run into that problem myself. Yeah. Now, to be fair. To be fair. <laughs> I don't use the Joy-Cons like at all. So they won't be wearing out anytime soon. Every once in a while, my pro controllers will get a little twitchy where it feels like the joystick just needs a little jiggle. Like it'll start scrolling on its own. It just needs a little jiggle. It folds. Get back in line. Yep. My money don't jiggle, jiggle. It folds. And with my Switch Lite, I'm so careful with it because I don't want it to happen. And that's the worst part too. If if it does happen, you are S-O-L. With the switch light, yeah. I just have right. to pack up the whole thing and send it in, which is, that sounds like a horrible pain. <laughs> so why did you buy a switch light? Uh, it was a gift. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't need one, of course, but you just look at them and they look so cool and all the different colors. <laughs> it's so pretty. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for handheld consoles, like you guys know. So. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> I wanted one. <laughs> I do think this is an interesting article to kind of bring up some of the both bad and good defining moments of the of the Switch. I actually have two that, that came to mind while reading through this as well. Uh, the first one's the negative one, so we'll start off with the, with the tough one. The complete lack of Zelda 35th anniversary stuff. Is that a Switch thing, though, or just a Nintendo thing? Well, it could be, right? But it, obviously, you would expect that it would come out on the Switch, right? Right. right. So the fact that they completely ignored that entire yeah. fan base and we're like, yeah, we, we like Mario, but Zelda, get out of my face. Right. It's, it's just an obvious void in that, that library that you would expect. I mean, you could definitely make uh, a game similar to Mario Brothers 35 if you wanted to. 
easily with with Zelda. So I was always curious as to, you know, we were constantly thinking the next uh, update's going to be, the next update's going to be something about Zelda. And I, I hate to say it, but that ship has sailed nowadays. Right. And I mean, and how hard would it have been to slap together a Zelda 3D All-Stars? Right. So that's the first defining moment for me. And I, I agree with, with several of these as well. But the other one it was, it was is a lot more personal to me. But when they were able to start the Nintendo Online console, where you're able to access NES games online, but also be able to play with friends, mm-hmm. that to me was huge. That sold the Switch for me. When I can play Tech Mobile against my friends online, I can play ice hockey, even Super Nintendo games as well. The, the ability to, to realize something that I always wanted to be able to do as a kid was to play with somebody who's maybe not sitting next to you, but still a good friend. And you hop on Discord, you chit chat, you have a good time with it. That to me is what really made me love my Switch and glad that they added the, the Genesis and the, the N64. Probably won't use those as much, but it's, it helped me run tournaments for crying out loud. Right. So right. that became a huge utility for me. Yeah, the Switch has been the thing that has finally convinced me to play online. I've never <laughs> never been into it with uh, with most games and with all other consoles, even even if it's been available. But participating in your tournaments has been one thing. But also the big thing is playing Mario Kart 8 online. Right. Right. I do that constantly. And it keeps the game so fresh and so interesting, having a never-ending stream of opponents to race against. Right. And it's a different experience every time that you play it. Right. Exactly. So that's why I have no complaints about waiting a little longer for Mario Kart 9 because I'm still having so much fun playing online Mario Kart 8. Right. I, I don't really agree with the number four, wait, this can play Skyrim because I think, <laughs> isn't Skyrim one of those things where like everybody's trying to hack it, kind of like the Doom thing, trying to see what they can play Skyrim on? Um, I know Skyrim has been a meme for years and years, and you're saying that because it can play Skyrim, that it's a it's a viable console. I mean, that's kind of the thing is that they said, yeah, but it can't play real games. I mean, that was always the argument. It can play uh, Nintendo Kitty okay. games, but it can't play real games. So that's why gotcha. I think they're saying. And I mean, that was even in the official like first couple of trailers that came out. It was somebody playing Skyrim on a plane. Which was like, whoa, okay, look at that. Go Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) I can watch a guy's head get chopped off and a dragon fly in on a Switch. That's crazy. (laughs) I'm going to sit in the back of the plane in case there's any kids behind. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, nope. You sit in the front row. They all have to see it. They have to learn eventually. Yeah. They're all like peeking over the seat and then they suddenly start screaming. (laughs) Yeah. Can I plug this into the, the big screen? <laughs> so everyone would plug this in. <laughs> I got the dock. It's right there. Yeah, probably half the plane would be okay with it. <laughs> I will say that first Switch trailer when it came out, I was actually big into news prior to the Switch coming out when it was the Nintendo NX. And I was watching a guy by the name of Obi-Wan. He was big into it and talking about the NX, all the different updates that came out. And then when it finally showed up, it did not disappoint. You know, right. because of all of the, the news that was around it, it was so much better than, than what was leaked before that. Exactly. 
I was so in love with the GameCube and then I hated the Wii. I didn't even look twice at the Wii U because it said Wii in the name. So if I hated the (laughs) Wii, I was probably going to hate the Wii U. But the Switch was an opportunity to finally come back to Nintendo. And I really missed Nintendo because I love Nintendo first party games. And so I went a long time. Like if you think about the long lifespan of the Wii and the little tiny lifespan of the Wii U tacked on to the end of that, that's what... 12, 13, 14 years that I went without playing Nintendo first party IP. So when the Switch trailer came out and it actually looked good, I was like, oh, thank God, Nintendo's back. (laughs) I can go back home. I can go home. Yeah, I completely skipped the Wii. My wife's parents got a Wii as a gift and they played it a lot. Um, I had a lot of fun with Wii Sports. Did play Mario Kart on the Wii for a little bit, but for ultimately the Wii was not a system I was fond of. I liked how they were doing the the motion controls and stuff. Like it was, it basically took the idea of the power glove and the U force and all that other stuff and made it into fruition with the Wii. And I was I was floored by it. But then I just it didn't seem it, it seemed like it was a GameCube. It seemed like the the graphics weren't that great. So I was just like, eh, no, nope, it's it's still Nintendo's still a kids game thing. And then the Wii U came out and I was a little bit more attracted to that because I liked the pad. I liked playing the the Super Mario game that was on there. Um, and there was a, a couple other games on the, the Wii U that looked good. And the Switch came out and just blew them both out of the water. And, you know, I found with my Wii, it was only something that I brought out and played when I had other people over. Like it was a, it was more like a party tool, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you played Wii Sports with it. Uh, we did Guitar Hero every once in a while, but it mostly collected dust. I ended up getting the Wii U for free, so that's where a lot of my love came for it to begin with. Yeah, there was no nothing it had to live up to. Everything was a plus. When I played Splatoon for the first time, that sold me on the Wii U. But the Switch is kind of following its way, I think, between second and third place for me when it comes to overall Nintendo consoles. Oh, Super really? Nintendo will always be my favorite. But... The, the Switch and the NES are kind of like tied is based off of just the experience that I had with them. And I've, I've been very pleased with my Switch. And I don't see a reason to, to not continue to love it because I probably play it the most out of anything right now. Yeah, me too. My Actually, my top played console because I really don't play. I don't find myself playing on consoles anymore. My, my kids have overtaken my Xbox One and my PS4. Only because they're downstairs and not in my game room. I, I play primarily on my PC. My Switch is sitting right next to me. And and I love playing Mario Kart with my friends. I, I, I've recently, you guys, you got me into Fall Guys. There's Fall Guys, there's Among Us. And all the classic stuff that, you know, I can, I can pick up at the drop of a hat. You know, yes, I could play that on emulation, but I can also play it online with my friends. And you could still do it online with your friends, but just having a console that you, you don't have to do a lot in order to get it, it's already there and it's available to you, I think it's the plus for me. And it's also, it's a lot more reliable than going through things like RetroArch, uh, trying to be able to play online. Because there's so many times that when you play on RetroArch, it gets confused and like drops somebody's controller, uh, where it's a much more reliable experience, I think, playing online NES games and Super Nintendo games with friends. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for a plug and play, play with friends, so to speak. For sure. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. Gaming History 101 is proudly sponsored by the Elitist Podcast. 
It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. In the early 2000s, mixing metal music and video game music rose to prominence, leading to the creation of the Nintendo Core subgenre. One of the pioneers credited with bringing Nintendo Core into the mainstream took its name from an NES peripheral. Can you guess the inspirational peripheral? Tune in to the latest podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the latest on your favorite podcast platform. We'll also have their links in the show notes. I know this one. I love this band. Yes. <laughs> so what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to guess. There's only so many peripherals. It's true. So. I guess the wrong one first. I, I did not pick the correct one. <laughs> is it strictly the NES, not the Super Nintendo, or it's just the NES? Correct. Correct. God, my first my first thing would have been the redacted. See? See, that's what I went with. <laughs> it sounds it sounds metal, doesn't it? Right? <laughs> like, right. Is is it the redacted? It is. <laughs> really? Yep. But there is one named Redacted. Is it really? Yeah. No sh- It just wasn't the inspiration. Okay. I'll take that. All right. So thank you for coming, students. Please take your seats. Welcome back to Professor Rybred's Gaming History 101. And in today's lesson, we're going to talk about a Nintendo console that promised players an expanded gaming experience and never really delivered. I'm, of course, talking about the Nintendo 64. Disk drive. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. Uh, (laughs) That's in the first half. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. So, you know, starting at the beginning, uh, I want you to think back to the mid-1990s. The PlayStation had been dominating the marketplace and put Nintendo in a position it had never really been in before. Second place. If you're not first, you're last. (laughs) (laughs) With the release of the Nintendo 64, Nintendo fans were thrilled at having a console that was cutting edge and offered proper 3D gaming experiences. However, there was a problem. The Nintendo 64 wasn't utilizing CD-ROM-based technology, instead opting for cartridges that could hold between 12 to 20 megabytes of data at launch, while Sony's PlayStation discs had the capacity of up to 700 megabytes on one CD. Now, this made programming for the N64 notoriously difficult, and Nintendo had to come up with a way to expand the storage space of their cartridges to keep up with the ever-larger games that were coming out. How they solved for this actually took inspiration from the Famicom system. The Famicom in Japan had a floppy disk drive add-on that allowed for more memory and therefore more advanced games to be played. This also meant that Japanese players could go buy a blank disk, go to a Nintendo vending machine, and purchase games by downloading them onto a blank disk, which, by the way, I love that idea. (laughs) (laughs) So with the success of the Famicom disk system in Japan, it made sense that the idea could work for the N64 as well. So having realized this early on in the lifespan of the N64, the disk drive was announced even before the launch of the N64 itself at the end of 1995 with a release date of late 1996. It's like, hey, we got this great console coming out. By the way, we're going to have another thing to plug into this. (laughs) Like imagine then coming out with, the Sega Genesis, and then telling you before the, the Genesis was in your hands, by the way, we've also got the 32X. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Sega didn't do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, if we look at the actual 64DD, it was designed to utilize three main features that led to potentially new genre of games. So the first being the dual storage, having a main N64 cart inserted in the top of the N64 and a base for the N64 to plug into that had a cheaper, larger capacity disc that stored extra content for the system to use while playing games. And this thing, I don't know if you've ever seen one, it is, it's like, the thickness of two N64s is the actual disk drive itself. So it's this big, big, bulky thing. And on the front of it, it's got a slot for you to put the disks in with like a big eject button. But this thing has to weigh uh, a bunch of pounds. Like you're carrying around a serious piece of hardware for that. <laughs> a bunch <All> of right. <laughs> uh, I couldn't really come up with an exact number off the top of my head. <laughs> now, the other features were uh, a real-time clock feature that would stay active even if the system wasn't on and it would add real-time events to certain games, similar to what we see with games like Animal Crossing and its Christmas events that you see nowadays. And finally, it was able to connect to the internet to download games similar to what was available on the Super Famicom for the Satellaview. However, the N64DD experienced massive delays. Its first showcase was in November of 96. By the way, which was supposed to be the launch window of when this was supposed to come out, was the first time that they showcased this thing at an event. And at that event, they announced that it would be launching in late 1997. Fast forward to May of 97, when Nintendo rescheduled the release for March of 1998. Are we seeing a pattern here? (laughs) (laughs) You can't rush perfection. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) So at the... uh, Pre-E3 conference on June 18th of 97, the company lacked even a prototype unit to display. While Howard Lincoln stated that the company would release the device until, or wouldn't release the device until sufficient numbers of software releases supported it. Now, reportedly featuring at least 20 games in development, including Donkey Kong 64 and a sequel to Mario 64, the device still retained its projected Japanese launch window of at least March of 1998 and received its first American launch window of early 1998. Now, Nintendo's main game designer, of course, Shigeru Miyamoto, actually speculated that the first games to be released on the new system would be SimCity 64, Mario Artist, which would be a uh, new version of Mario Paint, Pocket Monsters, better known by us as Pokemon, and Mother 3, a.k.a. Earthbound 64, which we have actually talked about on Gamers <laughs> Week, Gaming History 101. We know the fate of that one. <laughs> uh, eventually, though, more and more delay announcements uh, for the system came down the pipeline, but it finally launched on December 13th, 1999 in Japan. However, there's a lot of howevers this time around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing that. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't launched in stores, so you couldn't go to a store and buy one. It was only available as part of a yearly subscription service bundled with Randnet, its internet partner. Huh. So any guesses on how many units this sold? I'm going to say a thousand. Okay. Blue, what about you? A thousand and one. <laughs> well, if you were ever on prices right together, I would just oh. <laughs> Don't hate the player, hate the game. You both got it. I mean, uh, technically, Blue would get the, the win on this. She'd, she would be coming up to, to do the, the showcase uh, because she didn't go over. It was 15,000 total units sold. Oh, not Ooh. even close. Yeah. <laughs> no. But it only had nine games available at launch. Jeez. 
This included four, count them, four Mario Artist games. So different versions of Mario Paint. Actually, some of them were pretty cool. You can make polygons with one of them. Uh, and it, it really kind of upped the ante when it came to Mario Paint. But of nine games, four of them are Mario Paint. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Only having nine games at launch, that's not necessarily bad. I remember the PlayStation 3 didn't really have a, a, a wide library when it launched. Mm-hmm. But when you have four of the same damn type of game or <laughs> the same game, no, that's, that's a huge Yeah, no. that's when it's bad. Right. Well, it also had two Doshin the Giant games, which I'm guessing you guys probably haven't heard of. Uh-uh. No. It's this weird god simulator where you walk around as this like tall yellow being that helps out villagers around your island, and either you can be helpful or you can be evil. They had two of those, and interestingly enough, uh, that game eventually released for the GameCube, but only in Japan and Europe. Huh. It also had SimCity 64, so good on you, Shigeru. And it had the F-Zero expansion pack, which is widely considered the best game on the system. And then finally, it had Japan Pro Golf Tour 64, because that needed to come <laughs> out with the first <laughs> Yikes. Now, interestingly enough, so I, I actually did some research into this, and um, unfortunately, I forgot to write down the, the person that was being quoted in this, but um, one of Nintendo's chief people said that the reason that they weren't releasing the 64 DD throughout, you know, like 97 and 98 is because there wasn't as much adoption than they thought there was going to be for the N64 at the time. It only had sold somewhere around four and a half million units. And really their goal to release the DD was 6 million. So there was a problem there. They didn't see it as a viable option because what you were saying is that you've only got, you've already got a pretty small base how many people right. are actually going to pony up the dough for the DD as well? So eventually it just didn't became a poor business decision, decision, but they had hyped it up so much that they were like, all right, we'll release it, but uh, we're only going to make it subscription only. Which also meant, though, that there were a bunch of games that were planned for the DD that ended coming out as just regular N64 games, which included Kirby 64, Mario Party 2, Mission Impossible, Ogre Battle 64, Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2, Super Mario RPG 2, a.k.a. Paper Mario. Oh. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Disappointment in her voice. Oh. Uh, Yoshi's Island, also known as Yoshi's Story, and Zelda Gaiden, which became Majora's Mask. So with the Randnet subscription as well, Nintendo had overpromised and kind of underdelivered. They had promised the following features that really ne- never came to fruition. So for one, they had planned an NES emulator, battle mode, where players could play against each other online, an observation mode, allowing gamers to watch their friends play. By the way, Nintendo, you should put that into more games. <laughs> Beta testing, which I think is kind of cool. You would grant you access to sample levels of upcoming games that weren't released yet. Okay. And lastly, a music player that would offer access to music before it was released in stores. Huh. All those things were promised, but unfortunately never delivered. So after less than two years of active service uh, for Randnet, it was discontinued in February of 2001, essentially killing the 64 TT. So kind of a sad story. A lot of people were really hyped about this. It was touted as something that was going to be released in North America, never made it there. But in fact, there are uh, examples of people finding North American prototypes for it, including the YouTuber uh, Metal Jesus Rocks. He happens to have one. So if you're interested in hearing about that, definitely check out his channel channel for that. 
But to wrap things up, overall, the system was a disappointment for much of the world who were led to believe it was going to be revolutionized gaming on Nintendo. But every cloud has its silver lining. As the game Cabbage was intended for the DD, released eventually, it found its way to the Nintendo DS as Nintendogs. <laughs> That's the silver lining. <laughs> scraping to the bottom of the barrel there. <laughs> that game is a staple of all of the DS lots that I typically see on. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and you can thank the DD for that. <laughs> no. So uh, thank you for attending today's lesson. Just a reminder, if you have ideas for a story you'd like to hear, send us a message at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com, and we might feature your suggestion. All right. Thanks, Professor. Let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening to episode 32 of Gamers Week Podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club Podcast, the Leadest Podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, Follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. Email us at GamersWeekPodcast at gmail.com. Visit our merch store at Gamers-Week-Podcast.Creator-Spring.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash GamersWeek. And finally, since you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. Thank you, and have a great evening, everybody. (laughs) Hasta luego! (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like... (laughs) (laughs) I Google Street Fighter 6. The first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> if you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.